Support for the Source podcast comes from UT Health San Antonio, South Texas' largest academic research institution, where what is discovered in its labs translates into life-changing patient care. More at groundbreakingresearch.org. Hi from the John L. Santico studio. This is The Source from Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. Former President Donald Trump faces a total of 91 charges against four across four different criminal cases. They include 44 federal charges and 47 state charges. All of them are felonies. Trump has denied wrongdoing in each case. There are four charges in the federal January 6th election interference case, one count of conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government, one count conspiracy against civil voting rights, two counts of obstruction. Trump is accused of scheming to reverse the election results to remain in power. The case is explored in the latest frontline documentary, Democracy on Trial, and we're joined by the veteran political filmmaker Michael Kirk, who produced and directed this two-hour documentary. And Michael Kirk, welcome back to The Source. Great to be back, David. Thank you for having me. It's um, the, You have to have, it seems to me, discipline needed to be exercised in the telling of this story because there's so much going on with Trump, even talking about what happened on January 6th. Did you have to keep pruning things back and say, no, we're telling this story only about Trump on January 6th, some of these other issues like Roger Stone working with militia groups and Steve Bannon and his stuff and all, that's for another day. Right now, let's focus on Trump on January 6th. One of the things you discover if you've done as many films as I've done on the Trump presidency and every presidency going back decades now is uh, uh, the extent to which there was always a lot of noise, a lot of dust up, a lot of, uh, you know, just just a lot of energy and some people called it a circus uh, around around what happened around the Trump White House even before the election. I mean, for four years, it was really, you know, a, a crisis uh, environment. Uh, the president running everything with a kind of iron fist, but not really uh, connecting to an awful lot of people. It was it was a show, and it was uh, 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 a, a fight at, at all times with the president. So when you approach, when you're, you, you've decided to take on the assignment of understanding what happened really primarily in the January 6th trial that is scheduled to uh, happen in Washington on, uh, on uh, the 4th of March, you, you know, you, you had to immediately cut a whole bunch of stuff out of the way. Get Steve Bannon out of there. Get uh, Steve Miller out of there. Get... Yet, you know, uh, uh, Roger Stone, of course, and a, a lot of the other uh, flashpoints that were occurring at all times, and just stick right to the man in the Oval Office. What did he do? When did he do it? What did he know? When did he know it? How much intent was involved? How much of the things that are viewed as true criminality were involved? And, uh, and, uh, and, and to get to that place, it took us six or seven serious months of, uh, of digging around uh, thousands of photographs, um, tens of thousands of pages of documents, uh, everything that we could get our hands on that had been generated by the January 6th committee, uh, really to get as deep as possible. And as I say, we've made a number of films around the Trump White House, so we have our sources and people we could talk to there as well. So it was a case of 
of building the case or seeing how they built the case against Donald Trump that that occupied most of our time. So uh, prosecutor Jack Smith is seems working off the what was learned during the January 6th uh, special committee uh, from Congress. Uh, and you, uh, you you draw from them as well. And we learn uh, a little bit more about uh, the chairman of that committee, which was uh, Mississippi Congressman uh, Bernie Thompson. And uh, he seems like he had a very personal connection, particularly with the Confederate flag. I'm going to play a clip uh, about that. Well, one of the symbols of Southern resistance to voting rights and equal opportunity was the Confederate battle flag. And to see that flag being waved by many of the protesters brought back those memories. When he saw rioters stormed the Capitol, carrying the Confederate battle flag, essentially trying to take away the votes of the American people. That, I know, affected him profoundly and certainly was a, a driving factor in the way that he led the select committee. Thompson's committee had gathered a trove of information. The challenge, what to do with it. So they hired an ABC, former ABC News uh, executive to, to help them put this together. And it was extraordinary that Americans paid attention to it uh, so well. Yeah, they, they, you know, they had all that material, but they didn't know what to do with it. They were, they were determined to get it out in front of a lot of people, but it had to be a certain kind of information. It had to, as Benny Thompson said, uh, Congress uh, person Thompson said, uh, it had to pop. So they, of course, organized all the material that they had so that it wouldn't be a boring uh, a committee hearing uh, like we've all gotten so used to. Uh, it would be a, a real revelation, and they created it to be almost like a TV miniseries. There would be eight or nine uh, programs uh, instead of hearings. They called them programs, uh, and it and they would be it would be carried by the networks. And the first one was carried in prime time and got the kind of audience that a Monday night football game uh, would get. Nineteen million people uh, watched it and paid attention to it. So they were they they felt validated by the idea that they had managed to organize the material uh, in such a way that people who were really really curious about what had happened uh, could watch it, gather it, and it would have the kind of narrative arc. That a, that a miniseries would have. It starts with the former Attorney General uh, uh, William Barr. He, he says, the pre he told the president over and over again there was nothing wrong, there was nothing had been uh, uh, fake or fraud about the election. He called it, he said he, said he kept telling the president it was all BS. And uh, uh, that started the hearing, and, all, and it was very interesting. It was from his deposition. And uh, as they said, the people who organized the committee, they knew they had a hit by the way the phones lit up and the way uh, the audience turned out. And in a funny way, the way uh, President, former President Trump himself responded uh, to that first night of, uh, of the broadcast. 
have an email from uh, one of our listeners. Uh, this is from Rod Mooney. He is in Brackettville. He says that Trump continues to thumb his nose and deny any wrongdoings with regard to his actions during and after his failed presidency. It's long overdue that Trump should be tried, convicted, and sentenced for his crimes and attempts to overthrow the government. He is the worst kind of bully. If you have a question or a comment about uh, the prosecution of Donald Trump? Uh, is it politics? Is it justice? Uh, what are his, What is his connection to the January 6th insurrection? Uh, was it an attempt for him to retain power? Was it, with, as they call, technically a self-coup? Uh, give us a call, 833-877-8255, 833-TPR-TALK. You can email us at thesource at tpr.org. The Source continues after this one-minute break. Stay with us. Support for this podcast comes from Big Sun Solar, committed to helping businesses strive towards energy independence and conservation. Solar is a great way for businesses to lower their carbon footprint. More at bigsunsolar.com slash TPR. You're listening to The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. We're joined by Michael Kirk. He has won every award out there uh, for his journalism. He is the producer and director of of the new uh, documentary Frontline Democracy on Trial, telling the story of Donald Trump on January 6th and his attempts to retain power, uh, prevent Biden from becoming the lawfully elected president. You can find it now on uh, the PBS app or online at the uh, PBS webpage, News of Frontline uh, slash Frontline. And it's also on YouTube. It's two hours, but it just flies by. I have an uh, email from Margaret says, thanks to the producer of the Frontline documentary. Uh, she was overwhelmed with how well organized the material was and how it was presented. Question, uh, have they examined the potential for any more uh, coverage of erratic behavior in the future from Trump as he gets pushed closer and closer to the edge of not being supported? Uh, for the... The email and uh, and for watching, it's uh, David. It's actually two and a half hours long. <laughs> that, that's yeah. scary, isn't it? That it goes by that fast. But it is uh, it is lengthy. That's why the 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 streaming viewing is one way to go because you can watch some of it and then watch more of it and uh, watch it in pieces if you if you want. Anyway, the the uh, uh, Trump's behavior uh, throughout the. This process, and even going way back until uh, our film occasionally goes back into backstories uh, to explain other times when Trump claimed elections were rigged, like when uh, The Apprentice was up for an Emmy Award and uh, and uh, and lost to the great race uh, again. Uh, Trump claimed that the Emmys were rigged, and uh, and we have a kind of historic view of him at various elections claiming things, including Mitt Romney's defeat. Were, uh, was a rigged election by the Democrats. So he's he's sounded this call before in basically every race. 
he's ever had anything to do with, including the, you know, in, in Iowa in 20, uh, 2020 uh, or 20, yeah, 20 and 2020. It's just, you know, it's part of the Trump appearance. It's what makes him such a great, uh, a, a popular populist. Uh, a lot of people love the guy. 70 million people voted for him. He's He's, uh, he's got a way of reacting to circumstances like this, first creating them and then reacting to them, that uh, a lot of people really, really like. And it can't be ignored, the, the fact that it's he's been rewarded for his behavior by uh, being once elected once as president and, and appearing to be in the lead on the polls now against uh, uh, incumbent President Joe Biden. Who knows? Uh, there's a, a lot of months to go. But, uh, but Trump is very, very, very... Um, uh, uh, popular with a certain kind of people and a lot of them and they work for him and they get angry on his behalf and uh, and there's no getting around that and I think the committee discovered this I think the uh, Jack Smith and the and the Justice Department have discovered this and other prosecutors across the country that are involved in in trials with President Trump realize that what he's really doing is using the trial as a campaign stop and that's uh, and that's been a very successful strategy. Uh, for him so far. The real question is what happens if he is, if they actually have the trial, if the evidence that was uh, generated first by the January 6th committee and then modified, amplified, and changed by uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith and the Justice Department, uh, what if Trump, what if all that material or much of that material gets into the trial as evidence? Uh, a jury, what if they find him, of, of, of citizens in Washington, D.C., find him guilty of crimes um, obstruction of justice and, and abrogating voting rights. If so, uh, of course he'll appeal. But he he's run, he will be running for president uh, if this happens as a convicted uh, felon on appeal of of uh, of a prison sentence. Uh, is it possible that he could he, that people would still vote for him? And that's really the question about Trump's support. Uh, will they stay with him? Uh, uh, and, and, and in polls, they say they will, but that's only polls. As we know, polls are increasingly unreliable. What What is probable is that if he's convicted, uh, what is absolutely true is that if he's convicted in March or any other time, uh, he will continue to run for president. And we will get the answer to the question about whether uh, 75 million or more Americans will actually vote for uh, a candidate who's been convicted of a crime while he was president. Or the Supreme Court could find that uh, as a convicted person trying to overthrow the government that he should not be on the ballot, that it violates the third section of the 14th Amendment. But that's, an, that's another question for another day. Let's go to a caller. We have Edward on the line. And Edward, you're on the air. Hello. Thanks for the uh, show today. Michael, I watched your documentary the other night. It was excellent. And my comment, uh, based on your prompting, David, before the uh, break there, is that I, I actually personally believe it's hyperbolic to call it overthrowing a government or a coup or an insurrection. There's a lot more going on with those terms and those actions. I, I agree with Jack Smith, the federal prosecutor, when he uses the language, even referring to the rioting of election interference or obstruction. That's why Trump has been charged with those very crimes. All right, Edward, thank you for the call. Um, and so, Michael Kirk, uh, was it a coup? Was it an attempt to prevent Joe Biden from becoming president? 
Well, Edward is, is, is right to talk about the the naming functions and the nomenclature surrounding this. Uh, in, in the trial, it'll be one thing. In the in the overheated uh, the world of Washington politics, uh, when they were uh, talking about impeaching him for the second time right after January 6th, uh, a lot of words like coup were being bandied around, and and uh, uh, he was not he was not found uh, guilty. Uh, it, it, you know, the Republicans walked away. They they would all they all many of them, uh, McConnell, uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, many others had stepped up in the immediate aftermath of January 6th and blamed it all on Donald Trump. And and such phrases were also used here and there. Um, by the time they got around to a second impeachment, the Republican in the Senate had walked back and stepped back and said, well, we don't, you know, we think it ought to be a court. We don't think it ought to be a political decision. Uh, McConnell supported that step back, despite the fact that he'd been so hard on Trump and, and basically hates Trump. He still stepped back and they didn't uh, they didn't go forward with the impeachment and they didn't participate with the January 6th committee on a commission to investigate it, much like the 9-11 commission or Watergate. Now, uh, so those words got into the political bloodstream. Uh, certainly everybody talks about it as a coup and an insurgent and an insurrection. And Nancy Pelosi and other public officials did use words like that, incendiary words. There are politics at the heart of a lot of this as well. Is it a persecution or a prosecution? Trump calls it a persecution. His strong supporters call it a persecution. Obviously, Democrats and others uh, call it a prosecution. Uh, and, and, and it's not until they actually get in a courtroom that will, uh, the, the words will be absolutely accurate and carefully chosen as they should be for any American citizen who's, who's up, up, up for trial before a jury. We have to be really careful about what is alleged about what he did and what he said. If you want the charges to stick and, uh, and if you believe in the rule of law, we should call things what they are. Uh, I, I I don't know the definition of coup, but a lot of people who who know more about all this than I do, that is lawyers and, and constitutional scholars, uh, I, I've never heard anybody call it a coup in a serious discussion about it uh, on talk shows uh, and uh, and in political speeches. A lot of people say words like that, but but Edward's right to raise the to raise the question about whether that's actually what it was and if it's even actually useful to call it that. And it's a political food fight surrounding all of this too, on both sides, and it's uh, it's a it, it it makes it really hard, I think, for citizens because we're in the middle of the most controversial and probably most important presidential election in um, half a century, a century, certainly in my lifetime. Uh, this really matters, and things should should be done well uh, so that Americans can believe what the outcome is. So it'll be up to the jury to figure out intent. Intent is a big part of the case that Jack Smith's putting together. Uh, they're going to be looking at what happened on election night. And here's how uh, the supercut of what you have in your documentary. This is kind of edited down to get to the point. The Fox News decision desk is calling Arizona for Joe Biden. That is a big get for the Biden campaign. Arizona's called. Do you remember that? I do. What do you remember happening uh, where you were when Arizona was called? 
Um, I, uh, there was a surprise at the call. After Fox News called Arizona for Biden, there was discussion about whether President Trump should say something and should declare victory. The consensus of almost all of his advisors was that he should not. Were you part of any discussions about whether the president should make uh, any sort of speech on election night? I, I, I mean, I, I spoke to the president. They may have been president, but um, president spoke to the president several times that night. Rudy Giuliani's advice was very different than that of Trump's political advisors. His personal lawyer, Giuliani, tells Trump, keep fighting. We will have a legal crusade, a political crusade, to keep you in power. Trump loves the idea. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. So uh, Rudy Giuliani says keep fighting. Of course, there's uh, reporting that Rudy Giuliani was uh, in his cups that night, uh, not exactly sober. Um, and uh, did he get some bum advice? Uh, Michael, you there? Yes. All right. So, um, all right. So, how did? I'm sorry about that. Everything went away. Yeah. Well, now we're back. Uh, so, okay. um, the this this has gone to the question of intent that Trump knew that he lost, yet or he was advised to hold back. Yet he went out there and said that they won. Uh, yes, that's the that was a, a lot of the the thing that I didn't understand until we made the film was the extent to which there was a real fight going on inside the White House that night before he came out at 2.30 in the morning and said, frankly, we did win. His closest advisors, all the top advisors inside the campaign, including Bill Stepien, the, the chairman, uh, all said to him, you know, it's uh, it's too early to don't don't go out there and say you've won and don't and that it was rigged. Uh, we don't like the way the numbers are stacking up, but let's let's hold back a little while and wait. Uh, but he uh, and his daughter was in that position, and so were lots of other people. That his son-in-law, other people that we all know as famous people who were around Donald Trump. But at that at that moment, uh, Rudy Giuliani, uh, the former uh, mayor of New York, uh, who gained so much fame for what he did in uh, on 9/11, uh, Giuliani, who'd become very close with Trump in New York and then uh, in the White House, uh, uh, had a different position, which was let's. Uh, let's argue. Let's get out there. Let's fight about this. Let's fight for this. You don't have to put up with this. Uh, they're trying to make it a coup. And uh, and Trump decided to listen to Giuliani and not the professionals all around him. So uh, one of the arguments is he knew he'd been told by people who knew people who were dealing with the numbers, who were tracking the numbers. They knew that Trump had not won the election. Certainly by morning, they had a very strong a feeling that Trump had not won the election or that it was really challenging if he was going to come back, that his big surge at the beginning was all about uh, uh, mail-in voting and others, uh, remote uh, voting versus people who voted in person. He he got a big in-person vote because uh, he told a lot of people not to not to vote mail-in. So, uh, yeah, so that was laying the groundwork for eventually January 6th, where people were showing up in Washington, D.C., armed and enraged, chanting, stop the steal, fight for Trump, hang Mike Pence. And uh, that is all. We'll, we'll get to that. 
as part of the documentary a Democracy on Trial. We're speaking with Michael Kirk, the producer and director of this new documentary on Frontline. It's available for viewing now on PBS, the PBS app. It's also on YouTube. It's online at the PBS website. We're going to take a break. Our, our number is 833-877-8255, 833-TPR-TALK. Source continues after this break. Support for TPR comes from the Lawton family of restaurants, Cappy's, Cappuccino's, Mama's Cafe, La Fonda on Main, and Jingu House, located in San Antonio. Their diverse menus and hours can be viewed at LawtonRestaurants.com. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. Democracy on Trial is the latest production from Frontline, produced and directed by Michael Kirk. Uh, it is a documentary, two and a half hours long. It takes a, a step-by-step approach to explaining how Trump is accused, how why he has been charged with uh, with inter- election interference with uh, January 6th. It's now available for watching on YouTube and online. Uh, if you've got a question or a comment, give us a call, 833-877-8255, 833-TPR-TALK. Let's go to a caller. We have Margaret, and Margaret, you're on the air. Thank you very much for taking my call. Mr. Kirk, I'm just really curious. When you were putting the documentary together, did you come across the, I, I think, recurrent issues from what your documentary depicts of Mr. Trump having some strong mental health issues? One could even argue the possibility of sociopathic tendencies. And I'm just wondering, is there going to be some kind of documentary or follow-up on looking at American leaders and their tendencies, perhaps, with Trump being a great example, to exemplify some very destructive behaviors in terms of mental health. All right. Uh, thank you for that call, Margaret. Uh, so, Michael Kirk, that seems, you know, that wouldn't be journalism to try to uh, armchair psychodiagnose uh, someone. I mean, how would, you know, how would that work? Uh, it's a, uh, it's one of the territories that uh, when you do what I do, uh, and you've been doing it as long as I have, you, you learn um, all kinds of places you, you really can't go. And one of them is mental health. Uh, unless you have people who have actually worked with Trump, uh, that is uh, psychiatrists and others, uh, unless they've actually worked with him as a client and uh, whatever, and um, administered all the appropriate tests, examinations, and had talk therapies and everything else. And, and I don't believe there's anybody who's ever done any of that with Donald Trump, certainly not in uh, recent times. Uh, unless unless you have that kind of information and that kind of authority and training, uh, I, I don't know that you can bandy about words or, or, or raise issues. You can certainly raise them, but you're not going to raise them with any ability to get to the bottom of the truth of it. Uh, uh, by raising the questions. There is a lot about Donald Trump's behavior, which uh, is certainly unconventional, um, uh, completely way out there. But as, uh, you know, uh, uh, but as a tremendous number, tens of millions of Americans like the way he acts, uh, and and uh, that's hard to deny. So it's really... It's really what 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 this film is about and what most journalism is really about is what you can get how you can find uh, and, uh, and 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 talk about the facts of some situation. So the best 
that journalism can do is what were the facts of what Donald Trump knew and when did he know it and what did he do? What did he do every step of the way? And the best way to know that is to actually talk to people who worked for him, who believed in him. A, a, a large number of people in this film uh, tonight or, or whenever you watch it is uh, are, are people who were big supporters of him. Uh, Rusty Bowers from Arizona, for example, a uh, big supporter uh, a very conservative uh, individual, speaker of the House in Arizona, um, um, but but swore an oath to manage the elections and be a, a public servant in the legislature. And when uh, uh, Trump calls him and uh, Rudy Giuliani shows up uh, in uh, Phoenix uh, and he asks for evidence and they don't give it to him and they ask him to, and they say, well, we, we left it in the hotel or something. Uh, and and then finally Giuliani says that we don't have evidence. We have theories. Uh, 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 Bowers and other public officials like that in states like Georgia, right. Pennsylvania. And other so I'm gonna places. I'm gonna play a they clip all, of that, and so people can hear what it is that you you mean. Let's give it a listen. In this meeting or at any other later time, did anyone provide you with evidence of election fraud sufficient to affect the outcome of the presidential election in Arizona? No one provided me ever such evidence. Giuliani is kind of frustrated with us all. And he said, you know, we've got a lot of theories. We just don't have the evidence. And I, when I heard him say that, I, I said, did he just say what I thought he said? <laughs> and they all looked at me like the same thing on the mind, like, whoa, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, he just said that. That was like a rocket's red glare moment, like, wow. That's, you gotta be kidding. This is like a, this is the clown show. They're, they're out hunting. They're trying to find something and, and they're wanting us to participate in this. And, and he says that, holy moly, we can't do this stuff. You know, it's like. So Michael Kirk, when you have Rusty Bowers in, he's Arizona speaker of the house, you know, true red, white, and blue conservative standing up there uh, talking about his oath very emotional when he's talking about his oath to the Constitution, to democracy. And he is uh, one of the heroes that you portray, uh, along with many others, like uh, like Ruby Friedman and uh, Andrea Shea Moss and Brad Russenberger, Casey Hutchinson. But he certainly comes across as a great hero in this story. Well, he's, uh, he's an American. He's a, there, there's probably not very many people in San Antonio or in Texas who wouldn't recognize uh, uh, the aspect and the characteristics of Rusty as a as a true Westerner. I'm a I grew up in Idaho and I I recognized him immediately as that sort of what used to be called in literature a raw boned Westerner, and that's uh, that's uh, Rusty, very conservative, a member of the of the LDS Church. I think he's an elder in the LDS Church, so so certainly has all the qualifications that you would think would make him a Trump mega supporter, and he was. Uh, until they came to him with no evidence and asked him to break his oath and and throw out uh, the Biden electors in Arizona and uh, take uh, a slate of a slate of uh, uh, electors from the state that had been nominated and figured out by Trump's team. Let's go to the caller. We have Bonnie on the line, and Bonnie, you're on the air. Oh, thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to make a point of the 
allegation or the position that Trump is not liable for anything he did in office, if that were true, that a president can't be held liable, then Gerald Ford would have never had to pardon Richard Nixon. So there's precedent. All right, uh, Bonnie, thank you for that. So that goes to one of Trump's defenses that he has. They says as president, he was given a complete immunity, uh, which is novel. And, uh, and and so how was that playing uh, to to you, Michael Kirk? Well, it'll if it if they get if they go to trial, uh, and it seems like they might. I mean, if they really do go to trial on this in early March, and his attorneys raise this as one of the defenses that just basically says, "Throw you got judge, you got your honor, you got to throw the whole thing out," uh, because uh, as president of the United States, the Constitution grants absolute immunity to the president of the United States. And then, of course, the defense will say, or somebody will say, well, what does that mean? Could he, could he, I mean, if that's true, then the president of the United States could call up somebody in the army and tell him to go shoot his opponent. Uh, and he wouldn't be, are you telling us he wouldn't be guilty of uh, murder? And, uh, and in fact, uh, by extension, that's really where the argument uh, uh, goes. Uh, that's the kind of argument that finds itself moving up through the appeals court uh, and, uh, and the Supreme Court. Uh, maybe with a bundle of other things like his freedom of speech. Uh, uh, he also says he has absolute freedom to say anything he wants, including a lie, uh, that that's okay. As president of the United States, you often have to lie, little white lies and sometimes big lies. But that's what presidents do. And that if you want to start to create laws where presidents, after their president, can be arrested for things they said that were untrue or things they did while they were in office, uh, then uh, as uh, as one person a former Trump attorney in our film says, then boy, you got to think twice about whether you want to start having having that the law of the land, because uh, next time around it might be your president, somebody you like, and the other side might decide to take him uh, and arrest him and from their point of view, persecute him. So it is interesting and fascinating. Uh, the fact is there's plenty of law that says that might not be true about a president, but it'll be, these will be parts of the trial that make it fascinating for Americans uh, to, to watch and, and come to understand how the rule of law is supposed to work uh, in, a, in a democracy. There's nothing in the Constitution that says the president has complete and total immunity. Uh, if that's something that's so different uh, that you would think it would have been spelled out. No president has ever before claimed that they had complete and total immunity. And as you brought up, it has been argued in, in uh, so far uh, that that you know that the president could call on SEAL Team SEAL Team Six to start uh, killing his political opponents. And this it's it, this is something that um, you know they say that that you do, we don't want a king. Uh, you know we this is not what a president is supposed to be doing. So that's you bring that's that up in your documentary. Yeah, that's why we call the film uh, a "Democracy on Trial." It's it's in that trial that the the pillars that hold up the democracy. You know, you do, one of the, the thing about a democracy that's absolutely unique than many other forms of government all over the world is that you, the people in Texas, people in Idaho, people in Massachusetts, whatever, can go in a booth by yourself, pull the curtain, pull the drape, whatever it is, uh, and, uh, and vote in secret. And that that vote is gonna count and then that vote will be cherished and treated well by local uh, election officials. It will be counted uh, in a time-worn and, and tested 
process, and that vote will determine who leads the country or whether, you know, all kinds of other things get passed. Uh, when that is interrupted, either by a losing candidate who says, I don't believe it, I don't want to believe it, I think it's all rigged, I'm not going to leave office, or I don't believe it, I don't like it, I'm going to fight like hell, as he says, to uh, to keep my company and my country. Uh, in fact, it's it's that's what the process is for. There are appeals courts. You can move up these right. these issues will be answered. Uh, it, it, okay, we got to take a break here. It's a one minute break. We'll be right back. This is the source from Texas Public Radio. Stay with us. This is The Source from Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies on PBS. Uh, they aired earlier this week, uh, Democracy on Trial, a two and a half long hour documentary uh, about uh, Donald Trump in January 6th and the charges that he's facing uh, in that. He's accused of interfering with the democratic process. Michael Kirk is with us, producer and director of that documentary. Uh, you can find it online. You can watch it on YouTube, on the, on the internet, uh, on, the, on the PBS app. So you can watch it, stop it, watch it. It's, uh, it's gripping. It's gripping TV. And, and it's history, history uh, compiled in a way that you can consume it. Because frequently, I know, I'm like, I'm confused. Like, okay, is this the Stormy Daniels one? Or is this, which one is this one? And what's happening? And it helps to have it broken down in a way you can figure out this particular trial. And I want to go back to Trump's defense. Uh, in your documentary, Michael, you, you go out of your way to you speak with uh, Robert Ray, he's a former Trump attorney, and he talks about Trump's defense, particularly in, as a free speech, and let's give a listen. But to the president's defenders, his statements about the 2020 election, true or not, should be protected under the Constitution. You will see Trump and those who defend him essentially using the free speech defense and saying that these are just words. And in the end, it's not a crime in America uh, to lie to the American public, even though Donald Trump lied to the American public a lot. This is a central area of the president's defense. He does have First Amendment rights, and particularly as president, and trying to turn words into criminal conduct is a very slippery road for the prosecution under the First Amendment. And in the event of a conviction, I can guarantee you this, this will be point one in the brief on appeal. So when the Donald Trump says, I want you to go fight like hell and uh, go up there to the Capitol and I want you to stop them from, you know, uh, go, go, go show them, uh, you have to fight for your country. I mean, that's... That's free speech, or is that directing a, a weapon at our democracy? Well, that's certainly one of the questions, David, and it's a good one, and it, and that's a, you know an example of it. Uh, I mean, the fact is that he, that it's a, some of it gets to this issue of was he inciting people to go commit violence, or was he telling them to go up there, you know, disrupt the the process. Uh, uh, stop them from uh, uh, verifying the vote from the that had already been done by the Electoral College in December. So get on up there, make a lot of noise, whatever whatever they inferred from what he was saying. Uh, do you literally take a fight? Go up there and fight like hell. If you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a government. That's basically what he said. Is that inciting speech? Uh, uh, Jack Smith 
and the uh, federal government have kind of skirted it and said, we're not even going to deal with whether that's an incitement. We're going to deal with what, what, what the effect of that is, which was telling people to go up and disrupt the function of the government. Now you're, you, the, uh, the, the, the thing that is a criminal behavior in that is you cannot stop, you cannot get in the way of uh, public officials trying to do their sworn duty. So that's how they'll skip that argument, that, that First Amendment argument there. But as to many other things that the president said, which were consistently lying from that very moment at 2.30 in the morning on election night when he said, frankly, we did win. The question is, did he know better? And did he lie in that case? And then not just in that moment, but in all the moments along the way where he's speaking about it, where he should have known better, we, we show that in one moment he's told by his attorney general there is no truth to this. And two days later, or whatever it is, three days later, uh, we then show Trump ignoring what he was told by the attorney general and uh, making the allegations again over and over and over again. So that it's not about any single moment. This is this is the prosecutor's position. It is not about any single lie, but it is the uh, over and over and over uh, saying things, the connection the, the, the composite of all those lies and all that behavior, that's when it starts to go into the territory of criminality, not just once, but when it starts to feel like a conspiracy, when he starts to say a lot of things and when you add them all up and they're a lie, and the result is that people um, do not believe in their government and disrupt uh, the process of, of, uh, of what was happening on January 6th by taking over the building and being involved in violent interactions with the police department. Let's go Washington to and the another Capitol. caller. Uh, we have Jose. And Jose, thanks for hanging on so long. I appreciate it. You're on the air. Uh, thank you. Uh, quick comment and question. All right. It, it's poetic justice to see that Trump is uh, is going through the court systems now on a regular basis. It's kind of like uh, basically it's, he's, he's receiving what he's meted out throughout his whole life. So that's poetic justice. But the question is this. When he's out, when, when all this is through, all right, he's going to face Joe Biden. Let's say in November he'll face Joe Biden, whose crowning achievement is a genocide in Gaza and an impending war in Iran. Where does that leave our democracy? All right. Uh, thank you, Jose. Um, and so, uh, Michael Kirk, you think that's going to be um, the, 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 the debate I missed the last words of Jose. Uh, he was uh, he's saying that uh, Joe Biden's crowning achievement is the genocide in Gaza and a pending war against uh, Iran. Uh, that's a great, a great political argument. Obviously, that's the position that uh, uh, the Republicans will take in, in this election, in this presidential election. And, uh, you know, Biden can certainly defend himself or not. Uh, as he as he wants to, it's it's really not in my territory to to know about that yet. Although I am making a film about the uh, election next, the uh, uh, the the fact is uh, this film and these allegations and these charges uh, are about uh, are are unique and really for the first time in American history, uh, a, a president is being charged with crimes in office during a political a presidential election. It's really shocking and stunning. Biden has not, as far as I know, 
uh, and, and I would know, have been charged with any crimes in those things. Those are political decisions he made, moral decisions as well. And, uh, and uh, if, uh, if the American people or the American Congress or the Republicans or even the Democrats want to charge Joe Biden or talk about impeaching him or whatever for those events, there are ways inside our government to handle that. And, uh, and that's really what the democracy is about, is handling, adjudicating who goes to court, who gets reelected, who gets thrown out, who, you know, who's telling the truth, who isn't telling the truth. Uh, all of those things get, get dealt with by different uh, uh, divisions of the government, including the courts. And then ultimately, if the democracy really works, they will be being handled by you, Jose, and others who go to the voting booth and elect or unelect uh, 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 public officials based on what you learn, what you know, what you believe in, and uh, and where you stand on a kind of moral line. You also go over in your documentary, uh, Democracy on Trial, uh, efforts to convince uh, Mike Pence as vice president to overturn the uh, electoral count and say that uh, that Trump actually won and not uh, Biden. And just on its face, the ridiculousness of that argument that, that the vice president has that power, um, it, it, then why didn't Al Gore do, do it for himself, make himself president? And can Cam, uh, Kamala Harris uh, do the same thing uh, the next uh, January 6th? Uh, you have to wonder about that. So why, but this was also what part of the efforts by Trump to remain in power, Michael Kirk. It's an amazing thing that he would ask Mike Pence, the most loyal vice president I've ever seen, uh, he, he stuck by Trump through a lot of things, Charlottesville, you know, many, many things. He was always there with Trump in, in ways that were shocking to lots of people who knew Mike Pence, that he was sticking with a very evangelical Christian, very straight up and down kind of guy. But uh, following his oath, he thought it was his job to stick with Trump all the way until Trump asked him to do something that he had heard from his experts and constitutional scholars and other conservatives who were like uh, Judge uh, Michael Ludig uh, uh, of the appeals court, potential Supreme Court uh, a member at one time in his career. Uh, Ludig uh, talked to us and Ludig uh, talked to Pence's people and said his reading was, you have no authority to do this. Do not do this. Uh, uh, you will be breaking the law. You could be breaking the law if you do it. So, uh, of course, uh, Pence decides not to do it. And when he decides not to do what Trump asks him to do, which is throw over the election, basically, and give it to Trump, uh, uh, based on no facts or evidence, by the way, uh, uh, that was that was it for Pence. And it was it for Trump. Uh, once you walk away from him, you're either with him or you're not. And that was when he sent that email in as the Capitol was being taken over by the by the mob. Uh, and there's no other thing to call them but a mob. Uh, once that was happening and they and they heard that Pence was not going to do Trump's bidding, that was when the hang Mike Pence stuff uh, got rolling. A gallows got built up uh, uh, there. And uh, and there was real fear by the Secret Service that uh, Mike Pence, if they got him, they would kill him. Uh, an amazing, amazing moment. Never in the history of America has anything like that happened. Uh, and it happened, uh, if you look at it uh, clearly, it happened because uh, Donald Trump and because Mike Pence wouldn't do what Donald Trump asked him to do. And that's a that's an amazing that's a, a truly on even a moral scale. Let's forget the law for a minute. That's an amazing thing. 
Yeah, I think at that point, uh, Trump was probably thinking, well, you know, why didn't I pick Ted Cruz to be my vice president? He would have done that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Michael well, Kirk, thank you so much. Do, but... uh, producer and director of the new documentary. It's on uh, Frontline Democracy on Trial. It's available on PBS uh, on, their, on their app. It's also on their YouTube channel. Uh, and you can find it online on the PBS website as well. And this is The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. Thanks for listening. This has been The Source on Texas Public Radio. The Source is hosted and produced by David Martin Davies. Kayla Padilla is our booking and engagement producer. Engineering support from Ruben Garcia, Jesse Reeves, and Steve Short. Dan Katz is TPR's Vice President of News. The Source is made possible with support from the Gladys and Ralph Lazarus Foundation. 